Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton, and I'm joined by Adam Grossman. We have an incredible show today as Adam has an interview with Mark French. Mark is really known for creating and operating disruptive businesses in the media, technology, and sports industries. Adam, can you tell us a little bit more about those businesses and, and Mark, what Mark has done in his background? Absolutely. Mark has created and operated multiple innovative businesses in the sports, consumer goods, media, and technology industries. Previous ventures include Mission, the Players Tribune, Healthy Together, as well as leadership roles with NBC Universal. Yeah, you know, one of the coolest things I learned about Mark is is that not only as a business person, but he's successfully worked with with multiple athletes and influencers. Adam, can you kind of touch on how he's worked with those athletes and influencers throughout his career? World-class athletes, including Kawhi Leonard, Dwayne Wade, Serena Williams, Derek Jeter, Carmel, Carmel Anthony, and more, have partnered with Mark throughout his entrepreneurial journey. In his current role as CEO of X2 Performance, uh, Kawhi Leonard has joined the company as part of his board, uh, as part of the board of the directors. Mark, as the recipient, is the recipient of three 40 under 40 awards in three separate business sectors, and he has proven that his passion, creativity, leadership, and entrepreneurial skill set drive sustainable growth across multiple industries. Mark's inspiring entrepreneurial story has been featured on CNBC, Forbes, ESPN, Fox Business News, and more. He is often asked to share his entrepreneurial story and teach best practices with corporate giants such as GE, the NFL, and more. Yeah, and Mark really is a fascinating guy with a wealth of, of not only sports, media experience, but experience across that, that media landscape. So it's really great to have him on the show. Uh, so please, everyone, enjoy Adam's conversation with Mark French. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Mark French. Mark is a very accomplished executive in the sports media and entertainment industry, in addition to uh, launching several uh, companies on his own, um, particularly based around technology and product development uh, in multiple different categories. So, uh, Mark, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Second, you know, it'd be great if you could give our audience a little bit more work background about yourself and your career to date. Sounds good. Thrilled to be here with you, Adam. Uh, likewise, think very, very highly of all your accomplishments uh, in the industry of sports technology uh, and analytics, which I know we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about. Um, my background was majority, majority uh, spent in media. And entertainment in the early days. So I went to Ithaca College, uh, where I studied uh, media management, television, radio, and the Roy H. Park School of Communications. Um, out of school, uh, I first started really working on documentaries, and uh, I had a passion for trying to tell stories that weren't uh, really getting a lot of notoriety, and uh, was fortunate to get a few of those um distributed and uh sponsored so uh, i learned early on that if i had a great idea or what i thought to be a great idea um i, I had to a find a home for it and b find uh, somebody to underwrite it and i think those are you know kind of fundamentals in business right no matter how good your idea is you've got to have uh you know, distribution and, and you have to have uh, people to fund it, uh, to get it off the ground. So, uh, with that, um, I started building a, a good 
Network, which eventually took me uh, to NBC Universal. And uh, I started off uh, at the NBC owned and operated television station in San Diego, um, where I was really transitioned out of the content development, but was maximizing my experience of uh, not selling commercials. Everything I was doing was looking towards integration of brands into uh, the existing content, but really where I thrived was creating new content that was really going to meet the needs of that specific brand. So, you know, that's really when I got my foray into sports and sports uh, has always been a, a huge passion of mine. Um, you know, what's been pretty well documented is my, my first like real job was I was a ball boy for the New York Knicks. Not my first paying job. I actually worked in a kennel all through, uh, wow. Uh, high school picking up after dogs, but um, I, I talked my way into a ball boy job with the Knicks, um, which changed my life forever. And to this day, was definitely the best job I've ever had. Um, and, and without a doubt, some of the success that I've had in the sports industry is from those relationships that I built with guys like Mark Jackson, uh, you know, early on in my career, um, early, early on in my early teens, basically. So, but when I got uh, to NBC, NBC was broadcasting at the time, uh, the NBA. And in San Diego, which isn't a huge NBA market, obviously the Lakers were a little bit further north in Los Angeles. Um, but there was a uh, there was a post-game wrap-up show that they were doing in San Diego. And what I wanted to do was I was really focused on trying to get newspaper advertisers to convert to television. And that was very hard to do because television was so much more expensive than TV. But here was this like low rated post game show. Um, and I saw a huge brand in Southern California called Frizzy Paint that uh, was all newspaper doing nothing in television. And they didn't have a TV commercial, but I came up with the idea and I said, you know, why don't I redesign that studio, which was actually like a little tiny basketball court in the corner of the set. And I would have the on-air talent refer to it as let's go to the, let's go, you know, in the paint powered by Frizzee. And we painted the Frizzee logo on it. So this was like early, early on, like people weren't doing this A in broadcast, B in local broadcast. So that kind of, you know, put me on the map, so to speak, with NBC because everyone was looking at this little station in San Diego and then LA said, hey, can you get them to do that in LA? And they did. And then that opened up, you know, a new role that was created for me to build these kind of integrated uh, sponsorships across all the NBC television stations, uh, which was great. And then I built a little bit of credibility um, with these new um, content, you know, segments uh, that, went into a variety of different uh, directions, like was doing legal tips powered by law firms that, again, were not doing any television uh, that were predominantly living on the web, just things like that. So I had an idea um, for a new business venture for NBC. And because, and, and you know, because I know this is a, you know, an audience that's transitioning um, in, into the workforce, Persistence was kind of critical. So just having the idea wasn't good enough. It was like, how do I actually get this bought in? But at the time, the 
cost of an LCD screen was going down and down and down. And NBC was just getting more and more challenged to compete for uh, large advertising budgets because they were losing in the primetime ratings to the Foxes and the CBSs and ABCs. So the theory that I had was, why don't we create a new network? NBC did not have an out-of-home business. CBS did, CBS Outdoor. And those are all completely different ad budgets. So if it's General Motors, you have your TV, you know, spot dollars that you're um, trying to get a piece of. And again, if your ratings are lower, you're going to get a smaller piece. But then, for example, they had a whole out-of-home business uh, budget that nobody was touching, at least within our building. So... I came up with the idea, which fast forward is now NBC everywhere. Um, but can we build a place-based network where NBC content is going to bring value to a consumer's experience, which were typically mundane experience. So pumping your gas, right? And this was obviously before the phone is what the phone is today. But could we create uh, you know, a network of unwired screens uh, at gas pumps? Uh, at checkout when in the supermarket where people might typically pick up the inquirer to kill that two minutes. Could we have screens uh, with directional audio that was having relevant content? So call it Access Hollywood, but video, which is more dynamic. And more importantly, I could run what I, you know, banner ads right next to that content, driving you directly down to the Trident or whatever it may be and see if we could uh, drive an increase in left. So, Gas stations, uh, you know, I joke about it today. I was the idiot who put TVs in the back of taxi cabs. Um, but, you know, again, that wasn't just an idea because to get that off the ground, I had to work with the city of New York, the uh, taxi unions, um, Clear Channel, who owned the advertising rights. No one was in the cabs. Everyone was on top of the cabs. So creating this new category. And then the credit card, uh, you know, companies, because we were also selling the concept of we're going to make transactions that much easier going to credit card. So that was a heavy lift, but believe it or not, the hardest people to sell were internally at NBC. And, um, you know, I joke now about going off and starting my own companies a lot easier than doing it in a big company, uh, because there was always, well, why, why are we going to be in taxi cabs? How many do we have? And in the beginning, I literally had two taxi cabs, two. You still got a program, a 30-minute loop uh, for two taxi cabs. But, you know, fast forward, you know, I think more people watch NBC local news in taxi cabs now than they do at home on television. So taxi cabs, supermarkets, Walmart checkout, um, arenas, so screens adjacent to the concession stand. Again, that long perceived wait time. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm going long-winded here, but to get that business off the ground, what was really kind of game-changing was I was able to convince people internally that, you know, one of the biggest challenges we had was I built this great unwired network. I think we got north of 2 billion impressions we were delivering, and um, it was this whole new advertising model. But when we would go to sell the advertisements, we'd go pitch it to the out-of-home business and uh, at ad agencies, and they would say, well, this is TV. Then I go to the TV people and they'd say, well, this is out of home. So I said, why don't we create the first ever digital out of home upfront? So for, for those who are watching, they don't know what the upfronts are. Every media company hosts, and look, post COVID, it's going to be, 
actually interesting how this uh, transpires going forward. In fact, one of my portfolio companies, AdAge, uh, just did something very disruptive. If we have time, I'll come back to that in terms of how they're going to help uh, media companies um, do the upfronts remotely. But what we did was we u- utilized the network of everybody in NBC primetime and invited all the top CMOs as well as all the presidents of all the top agencies to come to this first ever uh, digital out-of-home upfront. So I hosted it in the Saturday Night Live studios, which was, you know, epic. Uh, and if anyone's bored, if they go to my LinkedIn, you can watch some of that. Um, so here I am in my, you know, mid-20s, nerve-wracking places packed. But what I did was I integrated NBC talent into it. So uh, when we were talking about, you know, NBC at the arena, the screens at the concession stands, John Madden's there talking about, hey, we're going to have sports trivia and we're doing Access Hollywood. You know, you've got the Nancy O'Dells that are talking about it and Taxi Cab, Jimmy Fallon. So it made it that much easier. But long story short, because all these um, segments in each of these different platforms are so short, you're only in a taxi cab for, you know, on average eight minutes, you're pumping your gas for two minutes. So there is very limited inventory. So I would never run ads back to back. It'd be content then one ad, content, then one ad. And again, going back to that sponsorship model that we started with, you know, like the frizzee and the paint NBA, uh, NBA on NBC experiences, there's only one sponsor per segment in these loops. We sold out all the inventory at the event. So literally did our presentation, had meetings scheduled with the top agencies and sold out. And, uh, you know, it became a, a, literally a $20 million business overnight. It just continued to grow. Um, after that, and that, that really gave me the courage having to take all the learnings that I had to really go and, and, and build my own business. Because, you know, when you have the power of the peacock on your business card or behind you, um, you can make some mistakes. And I definitely made enough, but you can learn from them quickly and you can fix those mistakes that you typically can't do on your own when uh, you're starting up a business. As, as you know, you've got to be very, very smart uh, and diligent um, about your investments. And we were there too, but I was fortunate I had some of the smartest people that were working, you know, with me and for me that would help me evaluate some of these opportunities. So long story short, uh, when NBC everywhere was up and running, at the time NBC uh, was owned by GE and we had what was called the Peacock Equity Fund. And the Peacock Equity Fund was making new investments in digital media. And they said to me, look, you're looking at all these different technology companies. Would you sit with us and help us evaluate some of these things uh, to see, to, to you know, vet the viability of some of these opportunities? And, and with that, Adam, you know, I was never an investment guy, uh, but I saw a lot of, I've always been kind of an operator. Um, I saw some really interesting business plans, but I saw some really bad ones. And I, I say that with all due respect, but these people had raised a lot of money. But for me, it was always like, are you solving a problem? Like, is this business actually solving a problem? So that really just kind of gave me the courage to go, you know, start my own business. But I, I kind of cheated. I was moonlighting, right? So I think my daughter at the time was just born. Uh, my son was you know, on the way or close to it. And I had a new family. So I was still running this this business for NBC. And I think one of the big takeaways that I tell anybody that will listen is 
you got to work really, really hard. So I was working, running, you know, at the time a $40 million business, but working at nights and literally getting on a plane every weekend to go to Ohio, uh, which was the rubber capital of the world, right? And that's where they manufacture all these tires. Fast forward, that's, I was working on the time uh, developing what became Core Grip, um, which, you know, I ended up developing with Dwayne Wade, endorsed by the NBA on every NBA scores table. Uh, but, you know, that seems like an overnight success, but that was, you know, two years of working every weekend and night and building an all-star team of advisors and partners, chemical engineers um, to develop that product. But I left NBC when Dwayne Wade tested Cork Grip, which I'll explain in a second, uh, and said, I'm all in. I can't, I can't play without this stuff. And that's when I said, okay, I, I've got to make this jump. So uh, alluded to this before, was a ball boy for the Knicks, played basketball my whole life. I've always been fascinated, but really with NBC, became infatuated with a problem uh, that hadn't been solved, and that was court slippage. So with NBC, I had an office in Burbank, and I had an office at 30 Rock, but I spent a lot of time because all the content that was being created for NBC everywhere was coming out of LA. And I was there, and to this day, uh, pre-COVID, I've been flying back and forth to LA for 15 years. In LA, I would play in kind of a media league basketball run. So all executives, you know, like myself at the time, anywhere from 25 to 45. And here are these, you know, grown men successful, still spitting in our hands, wiping the bottom of our sneakers because we played on a really dusty, crummy court. And I remember from my ball boy days and watching every NBA game, these guys Guys are playing with the best sneakers in the world on the best courts. Why is everybody wiping their soul? And the frustration of playing and slipping drove me crazy. And it would literally impact how I played and how everybody played. So I just began the process of research analytics of how big is this problem. Uh, I hired a few MBA students to, to work on this for me. Again, when I was doing my full-time job, um, did extensive research with a target audience. So who would end up buying the product? High school basketball players. Um, college basketball players would have it bought for them. I knew that, but you know, what's the size of the prize? How big is the opportunity? How big of an issue is court slippage, court traction? So I actually brought on a research partner in Pace University and did a ton of research and analytics to really validate because the worst thing as an entrepreneur you can do is just get so fixated, as I said, was on this problem, but if no one else thought core traction was a problem, why would I waste my time and my money? But um, the problem was definitely big enough and there was definitely a market for people that said, yeah, if there was a product that actually solved this, uh, it would be viable. Um, so got to work and we developed over 200 different versions of the product um, and started seeding it with top NCAA uh, programs. So some incredible coaches from Coach Beheim at Syracuse, Coach Self, Kansas, um, tested the product, said, we love it. We'll have our players use it and give you real-time feedback. And while that was happening, um, we were documenting all this. And again, doing a lot of qualitative and quantitative research of how players, coaches, trainers, doctors uh, were feeling about the different products. So 
um, because this product was giving you enhanced traction, um, I was always, um, I guess the word would be paranoid. I wanted to make sure there was nothing that would you know, potentially trigger an injury or anything along those lines. So I brought on a, a top tier group of doctors and NBA trainers to test the product alongside with us. And what was proven over time was actually was reducing the risk of injury. You're more inclined to have an injury from slipping than having just a little bit of traction. Um, and patented uh, the product. Um, you can actually see it over my shoulder there. You'll when you watch NBA games now, you'll it's kind of like where's Waldo. You'll you'll see guys bending over, putting it on their shoe, which you probably never noticed before. Um, so, Adam, I'm going way too long here. Long story short, developed the product. I uh, was fortunate to have Dwayne Wade test it. Again, that was all, you know, as you know, Dwayne and I are 10 years into this relationship, uh, about to announce our, our latest venture together. Um, that was all analytics-based, why Dwayne Wade became the face of Court Grip and, and the partner. Uh, I'm a Knicks guy, right? <laughs> yeah. And... That was all 500 AAU basketball players after testing the product. Who do you think is the right endorser for a brand like this? And, and Dwayne Wade was top of the list just because of all the dynamic cuts he was making on the court. And then when I spoke to him and said that he had left, you know, previous sneaker contracts because of the grip and that he had been infatuated with the same problem, he was just kind of the perfect partner for that. So uh, we developed court grip. Foot Locker bought the exclusive rights to it uh, for the first two years. And these are things like it, you have in, you know, uh, perspective on later, right? As I work with companies like yours, like you don't realize just how lucky you are at the time um, where you got to be in the right place. The ball's got to bounce the right way. Because again, here I'm a media guy having never done retail and to get a national chain that is ideal for a brand like Court Grip to take it to all doors, which never happens. Like they'll always do a test, say we're gonna do it in all doors. We're gonna put millions of dollars of marketing behind it. We're gonna put it in the window of every one of our stores was game changing. Absolutely game changing, just in terms of the instant revenue. Uh, and it gave us the platform to develop other products. And we ended up launching over 20 other products. Probably the most popular um, are our instant cooling towels that you might've seen launch with Serena Williams and Drew Brees and uh, George St. Pierre. So while Cork Group was laser focused on basketball and we went into volleyball and squash hardwood court um, properties, the Endura Cool towel was for every athlete, but even well beyond athlete. We sold more of those towels at Lowe's Home Improvement than anywhere else. So uh, that just drastically increase the revenue of the business. Uh, we were fortunate to sell the company uh, about five years ago. And then uh, I really just started leaning into investing and taking board seats on companies in sports, entertainment, and technology while incubating a few uh, of my own ideas uh, that we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, as we go a little further. But went from there to work with Derek Jeter to build the, the original business plan for the Players' Tribune and, and help launch that business all the way through, you know, our recent transaction. Um, working on a brand, I know you had uh, my colleague Mike Tenenbaum, who uh, 
and this is what's so important about the industry for people that are learning. Like you met Mike through me. It's all about connecting dots. Mike and I are on the board of X2 together, which is uh, I, w- I was asked to get involved through L. Catterton and Mike. L. Catterton is a you know one of the best private equity funds, almost three billion. They're you know large, large investors in Peloton, all connected fitness. Uh, and X2 is one of their portfolio products, which is an all-natural energy drink, uh, really to disrupt what's going on with the monsters of the world. Um, that similar to Cork Grip, over 20 pro teams have been using, and I've labeled it as kind of the best kept secret in sports. Like you've got all these amazing athletes that are using it, and all these top teams that are utilizing it and endorsing it that nobody knows about. So I, I've been asked to join to help them build a commercial commercialization uh, and distribution plan around that. And we will uh, be announcing a, a major, major uh, top tier athlete that's going on uh, to be uh, the face of the brand in the, in the near future and, and join us on the board of directors. And that, that one I'm excited about. We've been putting a lot of time and energy into that. And now, yeah, I'm helping bring in the right team. So the founder sold his last company to Coca-Cola, really smart beverage guys. You got great capital partners behind it. But like any venture, you need the right people in the right seats. So um, more to come on X2. In the near future, um, where I spend a lot of my time is, is one of um, a portfolio company that I'm extremely hands-on with, which was originally 20. Um, which, you know, we've raised over $40 million for from the Live Nations, the Rock Nations, the William Morris IMGs of the world, which was uh, a technology platform that was built to get people together in real life versus the digital connections that are happening through majority of social media. And uh, we saw a problem that we wanted to solve, which was young people are more distracted and there's a huge increase in anxiety and depression, but when you're spending time with friends in real life, uh, you see those negative impacts go down. So we had built this platform uh, that had over 3 million users using it, and then here comes COVID. And what was unique about our business was our technology is all map-based, and there's very few companies that have had real success uh, with that sort of technology, and fortunately, we were one of them. And we've made a, a really unique pivot um, into utilizing that fundamental technology to work with uh, governments, um, enterprises, and now higher ed to build a, a COVID um, response solution. So we announced uh, the state of Utah adopted our technology about a month and a half ago. Uh, we'll shortly be announcing another huge state that has uh, adopted the technology to utilize with their citizens in major, major enterprise. So, you know, by the time this thing runs, uh, I'll be able to announce who those companies are, uh, as well as higher ed. Um, so to help get students back to campus and God forbid somebody gets sick, you know, to have that contact tracing solution uh, is going to be imperative. So. That's been a really unique um, pivot. Great team uh, with uh, healthy together underneath 20. Uh, I alluded to before, uh, very active. Uh, you know, again, these are all board seats, advisor seats with ad age, 
uh, working with you at Block 6 Analytics, uh, Athletic Director U, just a fascinating business. Um, uh, if you think about the Sports Business Journal, Athletic Director U is very similar, but at the NCAA level. So all front office executives subscribing to Athletic Director U, and they're breaking a lot of news just in terms of uh, innovations, trends, uh, things like that in college sports. Um, and and uh, a few others, but I won't bore you, but that's been kind of my road. Long, long-winded, but hopefully helpful. Is this helpful? So that, that was really helpful. That's a really good background. Um, obviously, very thorough background. As my students know, I like to be long-winded as well. So I think they're used to, <laughs> used to log, uh, log expo uh, exposition. But there's a couple of things that really came up that we want to focus on uh, for the remaining part of the podcast. One is uh, working with athletes. So we have a lot of students that are athletes or were former athletes, either at the you know, high school, collegiate, or professional rank. Um, we've talked, we have been and will continue to talk with athletes on the pot, uh, on the podcast. But from your perspective, you know, athletes get pitched a lot of businesses and athletes are asked to do a lot of things. From your perspective, what has been, uh, you know, how have you differentiated yourself in terms of working with athletes? What are you looking for from athletes? And how have, you know, you mentioned this with Court Grip and Dwayne Wade, and obviously you mentioned your work with Derek Jeter at the Players' Tribune, but what is the actual key to success of using athletes beyond, you know, just the name uh, and brand recognition that comes with working with athletes? Yeah, so I'll try to say this as concisely as I can. And I've had all different kinds of experience working with a variety of different athletes. Finding an athlete that shares your passion for what problem your product is solving is really, really important. Um, in today's world of looking at numbers of followers and Q scores, consumers are very um, aware and cognizant of what is authentic and what is real. And when it's not, it actually has damaging impact versus helpful impact because right? you can really measure things in a way you couldn't before. So that takes work and not everybody can do it, which is building a rapport with an athlete to really understand what's important to them. And, you know, not everybody has that luxury, but I would say if you take the time and really do your due diligence, whatever the business is that you have, to find the athlete, even if it's not the most famous athlete, but to find an athlete that really shares the passion for solving that problem is always going to be more valuable, in my opinion, than getting a top tier athlete that is just, you know, doing a post for you. Um, because I think the consumer is, is very, very aware of that. And then the economic impact of that as well. You know, you will overpay for a top, top tier athlete. Um, and if you're not going to get the impacts because the message isn't resonating with the audience, that it's authentic, it could be really damaging. So my experience has been when you find an authentic voice that checks all the boxes for you, that your target demographic cares what he or she is saying about that specific problem you're trying to solve, that could be a recipe for tremendous success. Um, but for me, I, I spend most of my time just trying to get to know, uh, the athlete and, and look, that takes 
that takes experience. You don't get to do that out of the gates, right? There, there, there are agents, there are managers that that opportunities on their behalf, and they're not going to give you 30 minutes to, you know, get to know uh, one of these, these athletes. So um, it is chestnut checkers, but I highly recommend if you're going to work with athletes, really do your due diligence ahead of time, not just on, you know, their value, but what's important to them. And, and I'd rather see you spend more time with one athlete that has shown their interest for uh, the space you're trying to go in than trying to meet with everybody and trying to cut a deal with somebody that might be on paper the most valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that makes sense. And that goes to the next question. You mentioned with Dwayne Wade and using numbers and data and, and information from a quantitative perspective. So one, how, how have you, you talked about it a little bit in the, in the uh, opening statement, but how have you used numbers and data and how have you seen the evolution of using quantitative information, particularly as you've progressed in your career? So I think it's got different um, value in different aspects of the business. So, you know, signing athletes is, is a part. It's not the most important part, but there, there are a lot of interesting tools you can use now when looking to sign uh, influencers um, and we utilize all of those different platforms uh, to check on engagement, to really break down the demographics of who their followers are. Um, so in terms of endorsements, analytics is always going to be uh, critical. For me, when evaluating investment or board opportunities, um, I try to get as much analytics and data that I can, not just on their specific business, but on the sector as a whole. Um, so I would say, you know, that's, that's critical. Um, you know, block six is a perfect example where you don't just, you know, the analytics is the value, right? So it's not just how do you use it in your, in your businesses to make the right decisions, but how do you monetize uh, that data? And, and I think you've done an incredible job of that, of showing the value to brands, leagues, teams about how to make those right decisions. Um, marketing and advertising. So with, with all my portfolio companies, finding the right agencies to do your media uh, production and, and buying analytics is critical there too. So how are they gonna spend the money um, to help you achieve your goals? And the ones that have the best sense of data and analytics will always win out in my mind. So I hope that answers your question, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And we talked about, and you know, you obviously talked about the use of quantitative information in terms of how you build core grip and how you selected Dwayne and how you um, continue to use it to, uh, to evaluate opportunities. One of the things that you just mentioned is media and advertising. You mentioned in the uh, opening segment about the work you were doing at that age and upfront. So I kind of wanted to combine these two questions together in terms of, what do you see as trends that have emerged or, or, or um, insights that have emerged from the coronavirus and COVID-19 and how have you used that? You know, what are trends that are coming maybe specifically from this in the immediate term or what have you seen? And then what do you see as potentially, you know, medium term and long term implications of COVID-19, particularly when you're talking about technology, media and advertising? And if, and if 
you would like to use your the work with that age or the work with uh, 20 and healthy together, happy to, for you to use that as a frame for how you're seeing the impact of COVID on these businesses. Yeah, I mean, with healthy together, it's all based off data and analytics, whether it's an enterprise, uh, a higher education, uh, university, or states. They want to be able to see the data of when and where, you know, symptoms testing. That's all analytics. That's all data. And how does that impact when and where you open up um, businesses? And, you know, that's a big part of our, our core offering right now is these uh, different map tools to see which areas of a city or a campus um, are red, yellow, green based off uh, where people have gotten sick. That, that's a critical tool um, to help get people back, whether it's to work or to school, uh, in a healthy and safe manner. So the data is the MVP in, in that proposition. Um, I can tell you one of uh, one of the ventures that we didn't get to talk about is the work that I do with Buna Murray Productions, and uh, that actually is, uh, you know, my latest venture with Dwayne Wade is we've developed a interactive kids television show uh, that was just purchased. I can't announce which platform bought it, but data and analytics was a huge impact on how they decided to greenlight our product. You have more and more kids that are not in school right now, thus are not getting any physical education. And our product has developed, um, you know, uh, a unique interactive program uh, that's getting kids up off the couch and moving. Now, here's what's kind of scary to think about is it's going to take us a year to develop that show. But Netflix um, and the Hulus and the PBSs, they're all thinking about kids' education and the long-tail impact of COVID-19. So whether kids are going back, how they interact in a gym class or in a classroom, um, the data that's coming out now is impacting how people are thinking long-tail. And that's actually impacting. Look, I had the idea for what's called Fit Team 5, honestly, seven years ago, because I saw through data the decrease in uh, physical education, over 30% of schools were cutting it from elementary school. And I saw the increase, and this was again, hiring MBA students to do nothing but data and analytics for me, the increase in childhood obesity in our country. So now when we think about COVID-19 and as overwhelming as it may be, youth sports is getting crushed, crushed. I'm the parent of two, who are competitive, you know, basketball players and gymnasts that are not going to practice. They're not playing in games. I don't know when it's going to be safe for them to be on a court, sweating, breathing on top of each other. So, you know, that data is impacting how media companies are thinking about what kind of programming needs to be out there. I'm just grateful that we had developed this property uh, that, by the way, wasn't I couldn't get it sold out. I'm not going to lie. I think you know the story on this for a long time. And to me, there were all this data. This should be on TV. It's solving a real problem. But it took uh, a long view at COVID where people said, oh, wow, here's a property with Dwayne Wade, um, CAA Sports, celebrity athletes that's, you know, prepared to help solve this problem. 
uh, that got a property like that fixed. So I think everybody is looking at data, healthcare data, um, habits are going to change, right? Obviously, we're not watching live sports, which has a huge impact on where brands are spending their money and how they're spending their money. But, you know, businesses aren't open, so they're not generating revenue to buy advertising. So I think we're seeing a lot of pivots from companies in terms of how they're going to be delivering value to their end consumer and how media companies are going to deliver value for that brand to eventually move units. Yeah, and can you talk about, you mentioned, and we're getting towards the other time, but you mentioned your ad age and how ad age is, or not your ad age, obviously you're working with ad age, but uh, how does ad age pivoting in the upfront, and how is ad age doing the uh, at home upfront presentation? Um, Yeah. If you can give a little more context about upfronts in general, just for the students, just like what they literally are, and then talk about how they pivot, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't know how much I can get into the actual pivot, so... Uh, because we haven't announced any of that publicly yet. But the upfront model has always been built where every media company, so, you know, CDS, Viacom, will host events where media buyers um, will come to learn more about what is going to be on those properties for the upcoming season. It's it's really antiquated if you think about it. So, They'll get to see a trailer of a new show that's coming out. Uh, some of the stars will come out and talk about what makes the show so great. And then the week after that, after they've been to all the different upfront presentations, they'll make decisions on where they're going to spend their, their advertising dollars. So not a lot of data behind those decisions, right? And that's still happening uh, to this day. Now, obviously, you can look at trends of, well, this producer did it, this director did it, this talent's in it. This is the time period it's going to be. This time period is historically done X, Y, and Z. It's going up against these other um, shows that either have been around or haven't been around. So there is data to look at, but a lot of it's based off gut. Um, what we did with NBC Everywhere was, you know, emulated that model. Uh, but what's happening now is those events are you're not going to pack. Radio City Music Hall with a bunch of media buyers anytime soon. And you're not going to have the talent that feels comfortable to go out on that stage um, to make those presentations. So what AdAge is doing is helping get the brands, the visibility, um, as well as the distributors, uh, the visibility to do this in a, in a virtual environment. And uh, that's all I could probably talk about right now for yeah. that. Keep an eye on it. It's... Um, you know, for me, with Athletic Director U, Ad Age, and even Block 6 to some extent, you know, a lot of uh, the business models are based off events. And people are doing some really unique, smart things in terms of virtual events and, and delivering value in that manner. Um, is it sustainable? We will see. But I, uh, I, I can tell you, I'm personally a lot more effective not commuting. You know, I live 17 miles from Manhattan and it takes me over an hour and 20 minutes to get there and home every day, which is an hour and 20 minutes. That is not wasted. I use it for phone calls, but it's just not the same. Uh, and you know, I commute back and forth to LA, which I haven't done since this began. So a lot of those face-to-face deals are impacted, uh, not happening, but a ton is being done 
across my portfolio through Zoom like this. Um, and I think there's some real smart innovation and efficiencies that are coming out of it, whether it's, you know, brands like AdAge doing these virtual events. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to really know the direct impact that face-to-face -face business not happening is going to have for at least two years because business is going to keep happening this way. Right. Um, but that from an analytics standpoint would be a fascinating study. I, I agree. And, you know, I think that leads into the last question that we wanted to ask you, which is, you know, whether it's looking at data and analytics or understanding quantitative value, you know, what should people, students in particular who are looking to enter the space, what would you recommend that they focus on or how, what's the best way to do it? Um, and one question on top of that, or if you want to say, I think it's complimentary is, you know, you've obviously hired a bunch of people. So, you know, what are you looking for when you're hiring people and what are you looking for? What would you recommend for people entering into the sports and media space? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And I want to start by saying, you know, the, the limited success that I've had has always been because I've surrounded myself with people a lot smarter than me. And this is a, de a debate I've had many times. Like I've given up a lot of equity by always bringing on a team to help me get to where I want to go a lot faster, but more importantly, efficiently. I am not a data and analytics guy. And I know just enough to ask the right questions, but I need to surround myself with people like you, Adam, that can look at that and give me real smart data points for me to digest and, and think about and then ask more questions. But it's actually one of my weaknesses. Like if I look at an Excel, I get a headache. Um, <laughs> but I know enough to know that I need to know it and I know enough to know that I need to ask the right questions that the data that comes out of it will impact how I view opportunities and, and how I go about uh, business operations. So data and analytics is critical in every decision within a business. And the more of it that you have access to, the better decisions you're going to make. Um, so as it relates to people that I look to hire, I am always, especially young people, you know, I, I'm always intrigued by their ability to navigate data and analytics, how they use it in their uh, their business decision-making, but life decision-making. There's so many things now that exist that every decision you make, you can rely on data and analytics or you can extract value from that. But, you know, the macro question in terms of for, for people coming into the workforce in a COVID-19 world, now more than ever, any discussion you're going into that if you could bring some interesting data that shows you're capable of mining it and finding interesting points that can impact a decision for any business is going to be critical. It's going to be a differentiator for you. So I can tell you, you know, over the last call of three years, I've made hiring recommendations based off candidates that have come with an interesting piece of data and, and a little small tip that I give everybody and it's it's unbelievable that more people don't do this. But you know, whatever industry you're looking to get into, and obviously we're talking about sports, entertainment and technology here, is you know, whatever company you really wanna, you know, you're envisioning being a part of, set Google alerts, not just for what they're doing, but what their competitors are doing. 
um, interesting things you think they need to be aware of and get articles sent to you that will trigger thoughts for you about innovation where they can be thinking or, and then find your right mentors within those organizations and share those findings because you will be surprised. Eight out of 10 times they did not see what you're gonna send them. And more importantly than just sending an article, have your point of view. Hey, I saw that X, Y, and Z is doing this. I noticed the data showing X, Y, and Z. I was curious, I went and did some additional research and found this. Not sure if you guys are thinking about this. Those are always the first people that are getting the phone call when it's time to fill that position. I think that's a great way to end it. I think that's great insight. Um, Mark, uh, I know you're a very busy guy. Uh, I know you got to run. So I appreciate, we appreciate the time, appreciate the information you provided, and, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Truly my pleasure. And to your students, you are lucky to have Adam Grossman. Uh, <laughs> I, I will tell you, I keep an eye on you know all the upcoming um, rising businesses and sports. And what Adam's built with Block 6 is, is second to none, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the journey with Thank you. And as I tell my students, flattery will get you everywhere. So good way to end it. And thanks for the time. Mark. See you guys. Take care.